scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 6, 9 through 13, read from the King James translation. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. So we've come full circle now with our Lord's Prayer. The prayer, uh, as Lindsay reminded us in our children's moments, began with a word of adoration, saying, Our Father, holy is your name. And now we have come full circle, and we wrap it up with this doxology of praise where we say, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But let me quiz you for a second and see how well you remember what Bruce um, has already taught us about this last line of the prayer. Um, So here we go. Bruce, are you looking at the screen? Oh, okay. Now you are. Okay. Just wanted to make sure that... that That's not your father. That is you. Yeah. Okay. True or false, this doxology at the end of the Lord's Prayer is not included in most translations of the Bible. It's true, right? This last line was added by the early church, and um, it is actually not in the oldest manuscripts of Scripture that we have, but it is found in a resource called the Didache, which was basically a, a resource that was used by the early church with converts to Christianity to guide them into what it meant to be a follower of Christ. Um, so many monks familiar with how this this prayer was read that included that last line, right? When they were writing out the manuscripts, like they would include that last line in, in theirs. Um, so in 1526, Bruce taught us this, when William Tyndale was writing his English translation of the Bible, he was using these later manuscripts that had this last line included. But most modern translations do not include it, um, or they might just have a footnote about it, because our earliest, most reliable manuscripts that we have do not include this line. So that's why we read our scripture passage from the King James Version this morning, because it is the only one that has that doxology at the end of it. Now, do you remember what Bruce taught us about why we all say this in that King James speak, even though we don't do anything else in a King James kind of way here? Do you remember why? They're just afraid. They're just afraid. I'll tell them. They already know the answer. But the Book of Common Prayer included the Lord's Prayer from William Tyndale's version. And so they, um, the Anglican Church, for one, they were like, everybody use this. Everybody order your services this way. And we come out of the Anglican Church, and it is fascinating to me that we still do this in such unity that we still pray the prayer like that. Um, so that's, a, that's another little fun fact for you. Now, while this last line, this doxology, is not necessarily, is not included in the earliest manuscripts 
of Scripture that we have, it is definitely scriptural. It was based on King David's prayer at the dedication of the temple. That's found in 1 Chronicles 29. And in verse 11, he says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. And to truly appreciate this, these lines of his prayer here, I want us to go for a moment to First Chronicles chapters 28 and 29. Uh, because this wasn't some formalized prayer that David just pulled out of his back pocket and was like, well, i got to say a prayer today at the dedication of the temple, so I've got this little something written down. This was actually a prayer that was spoken by David in the midst of an incredible act of relinquishment on his part. You see, David wanted to be the one to build God's temple. David had spent hours upon hours dreaming and visioning and planning. He had plans drawn up, the design of the temple. I mean, he was doing the whole thing. But listen to what he says to the people in um, 1 Chronicles 28, starting in verse 2. He says, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had planned to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for building. But God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name, for you are a warrior who has shed blood. He said to me, It is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts. And then look at verse 7. Then David gave his son Solomon the plan of the vestibule of the temple and of its houses, its treasuries, its upper rooms and its inner chambers and of the room for the mercy seat and the plan of all that he had in mind. Do you see? David relinquished his own plans, handing them over, literally, his plans to his son Solomon, just as the Lord had instructed. He didn't try to hang on to having his own way. He laid it all down, surrendered it all. David then made a huge financial offering of gold and silver for the construction of the temple. I was talking to Stuart about this, and I was saying, you know, just just get in there with me for a moment and think about this. Here here you are. You have had this plan. I am going to give this gift to God. I'm going to build this temple. And you've put all this work in, and now you're asked to hand it over to someone else who has little experience, who, who is not necessarily ready for something like this in your eyes. And what could David have done? David could have said, Okay, fine, here you go. Good luck, Solomon. Let's see how that goes for you. And just stepped back and done nothing. But instead, what David did was he stepped in even further. And he said, not only am I giving over these plans for someone else to do what I had wanted to do so badly, I surrender this, but I step in and I fully support you so that you can be as successful as possible. Here is gold. Here is silver. Here from my my own personal funding is what I can do to make you successful. And then he called all of the leaders 
of all, all the tribes. He called all of them to come in and do the same thing. And they did. They then stepped in. And they gave what they had to make this effort successful. And in 29.9 we read, Then the people rejoiced because these had given willingly. For with single mind they had offered freely to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. And it was only then, it was only then, guys, after David had laid down his own plans in obedience to the Lord, after David had given generously and willingly from his wealth, after the leaders of all the ancestral houses of Israel had freely, willingly, and joyfully done the same thing, after they were fully surrendered and ready to step in, to all the work that would ultimately lead to God being praised and glorified and honored. Then David prays this prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty For all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. And now our God... We give thanks to you, and we praise your glorious name. David is giving back to God every blessing that he had ever received, laying it all down, all his kingdom, his power, and his glory to the true king of kings. I think that is why the early church chose to include that in the Lord's Prayer as their doxology of praise to God because it beautifully displays everything that Christ taught us about surrendering our wills and our plans, our desires, our resources to the Lord in order that He may be glorified. But I think it's also interesting to consider this point as well, when the early Christians heard words like kingdom, power, and glory, their minds would immediately go to Rome, where you would find Caesar sitting on a throne, ruling his kingdom with all power and with absolute majesty and glory, with thousands of people ready to do his bidding at any moment. And and Caesar was not a kind ruler. He did not lead a kind kingdom. I mean, he might give you some bread if you were lucky. And if you weren't careful, his kingdom would be coming for you. But as N.T. Wright says in his very understated way, it would not be a kingdom that many would enjoy, right? Um, So when the early church gathered, 
to pray the Lord's Prayer. They were, in a sense, being rather subversive here, recognizing God as Father of all and Jesus as the true King who deserved all glory and majesty, the one who held the real authority in the true kingdom, not Caesar. And in this time of worldly kingdoms with leaders who lorded their authority over their subjects, These early Christians used this doxology not only to claim Jesus as king, but to be reminded about how he redefined the terms kingdom, power, and glory. And just how did Jesus do that? Well, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 10. I'm going to have the scriptures on the screen, but I'd love for you to just see, like with me, how it just flows from one thought to another right there in this chapter. So we're going to start in verse 13. In verses 13 through 16 of Mark 10, we see that parents are bringing their little children to Jesus so that he might touch them and bless them. And the disciples were attempting to keep the children away from Jesus, maybe thinking that they would, they would be annoying Jesus. But Jesus corrects not the children or their parents. He corrects his disciples. And he says, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And there it is. There's a redefinition of kingdom. You don't earn the kingdom. It is not reserved for an elite few. Even the least in the world's eyes are welcome. The kingdom is a gift of grace that is to be received by you. Flowing right out of this story in verses 17 through 31, Mark presents to us the account of the rich man who wants to know what he must do to inherit eternal life. Even though he's kept all of the law since his youth, Jesus looks at him with love and he says, you still lack one thing. And then he says, go, sell what you own, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But the man had too strong of an attachment to worldly gain and status, and he walked away from Jesus, grieving. And so what do we learn about the kingdom from this? The surrender is key to entering the kingdom of God. It's not those who hang on to that worldly gain, that worldly status, that worldly authority, power, and pride that enter, but it is the ones who surrender it all, letting it all go who enter into the kingdom. Right out of that, verses 32 through 34, Jesus explains to his disciples that he must be handed over, condemned to death, humiliated and killed, and then rise again after three days, which is another crucial redefinition of kingdom, power, and glory, that it is through death that life and power and victory are ultimately revealed. Then immediately following this passage, in verses 35 through 45, Mark strategically places this account. James and John are vying for the top position in God's kingdom. They want Jesus to grant them spot number one and spot number two, top two in the kingdom. And the other disciples get wind of this and they become angry. Guys, what do you think you're doing? 
How dare you do that, right? We can imagine that there was just a fair amount of arguing now going on among the disciples. And so they have one of the very first come to Jesus meetings right there. And Jesus has to tell them this. You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lorded over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, guys, you're thinking about kingdom the way the world thinks about kingdom. They do it one way. We're not going to do it that way. We're going to do it the servant way. The greatest in the kingdom is the one who is the servant of all. Total redefinition. Jesus' disciples needed a new understanding of of kingdom power and glory, right? That it is from the position of surrender. And the willingness to serve others out of love, from a position of love and not pride. That you enter into the kingdom of God and you become one who then helps it become an even greater reality in the world. And we today, we're no less in need to live from that same position of surrender. We need to be reminded over and over again that that is what we should be about. That's the kind of people that we should be. I love what Pete Gregg says, had, had to say about this in his book, How to Pray. He said, we live in an age when this is rare. We love to speak of the kingdom without ever really wanting to surrender anything costly to its king. Our time, our money, our sexual ethics, our achievements, our dreams for our lives are all resolutely ours. Personal surrender and costly sacrifice are rare. The kingdom of God is an unthreatening ephemeral concept, a vaguely and pleasantly desirable future prospect, not the kind of concrete present reality that grazes our knees as we relinquish everything we cherish to its king. But to pray these closing lines of the Lord's Prayer is to give the kingdom the power And the glory back to God. It is to give him our little empires, family, ministry, career, and say, yours, Lord, is the kingdom. It is to give him the power bases we've built and say, yours, Lord, is the power. It is to give him our credibility, our trophies of success and say, yours, Lord, is the glory forever. And ever, right now. And to all that, to all of that that we have talked about in this Lord's Prayer, we say amen. Which is an ancient Hebrew word that, that literally means yes. Or I agree, let it be so. It's an emphatic way of voicing agreement. We agree together that that God's will should be done and that God's kingdom should come. And the practice of reciting the Lord's Prayer together each week brings us all into agreement with each other. 
So on this thought of agreement, um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, as I was packing my bag to go on the youth retreat breakthrough, um, I grabbed my shampoo and my conditioner. Um, and I don't know if any of you have ever had your shampoo or your conditioner open up on you in your bag and get all of your clothes and inside all the goopy mess inside your bag. Totally done that. So now when I pack my shampoo and my conditioner, I'm very careful. I mean, it's like I'm triple layering little sacks and I'm you know, tying it up real tight and I stick it in a side pocket. So that's what I did. I grabbed them both, put them in the little bag, stuck them in the side pocket going up and down. And then the thought occurred to me, I'm not sure that they're both standing right side up, right? And so unzip the bag, you know, pull the sack out, open the whole thing. And sure enough, my conditioner was straight up and down and my shampoo bottle totally upside down. So what would happen possibly? Gravity, right? Like the, the, the lid would have opened. I would have wasted a lot of shampoo. It would have made a really big mess. So I turned it around so that it was standing upright. I put it in agreement with gravity and with the conditioner, right? Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer together, we're putting ourselves in agreement. We're putting ourselves in agreement with God and His kingdom, turning our thoughts and our intentions once again toward Him and aligning ourselves in agreement with other believers. When we pray this prayer together, we are standing properly aligned in that kind of agreement, faces towards God with one another, saying, yes, Lord, to everything in this prayer, let it be so. We agree. So as we close this morning, I want us to think about that. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. But look, there is so much that we disagree on right now in our church, in our nation. Just Bruce was talking about this earlier. So many things that we say disagree, and we let those things divide us. But when we say this prayer, we're standing in agreement. We can all say, we agree, Lord. That you are the one who is holy. You are the one who deserves the honor, the majesty, the glory. You are the one who provides for us everything we need. You are the only one who can forgive us for all of the ways that we have sinned against you and against one another. You are the only one who can give us the power and the ability to forgive and love the way you do. You are the only one who can make us whole people. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom and the power and the glory, and it belongs to no one else. If we can't agree on anything else, certainly we can agree on that. And so I want us to remember every week as we say this prayer together, this is not just some ritual thing that we're doing. It is an opportunity for us to say, in unity, we agree that the Lord is holy. And we should surrender all that we have and all that we are to him. Amen.
Amen. Well, so stand with me. Our musicians, yeah, y'all come on up. I'm going to pray for us, and then we will end together with the Lord's Prayer. And our King James speak, because that's what we're used to. But let's just say it all together. I'll, I'll lead us, and then I'll guide us into that prayer together. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this reminder today of how you have redefined everything for us. How you teach us, Lord, again and again, that it is through love, self-sacrifice, relinquishment, total surrender, Lord, that we can become the people who will change the world. And, And from that position, we find the most freedom. Lead us into that freedom, Lord, as we surrender to you. Strengthen us, Lord. Bring us together in the midst of the many things we disagree about. Bring us together in agreement over what this prayer states, God. And we pray it now in unison, in unity, together, Lord, with full confidence as your children. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let it be so. Amen.